Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Beyond the Ball. Be sure to check out these other coaching-focused podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture, plus our NBA team-focused podcasts, Cavalier Central, Knuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. All right, guys, Beyond the Ball is back, and we are super excited about this next episode. We have a really special guest joining us, but before we do, let's catch up a little bit. Coach Klump, how are you doing? Hey, very good week, very good week, and super excited for the podcast. I think we're we're closing in on 50 episodes, buddy, and I appreciate you for, for bringing me on in this ride. It's been excellent, and we continue to grow and continue to serve other people, and we're, that's what we're here for. Yeah, super excited. It's uh, absolutely amazing that people keep wanting to come on and talk to us, uh, two, two local 716 guys that are just kind of doing this thing to gain a little experience and touch some lives, and hopefully people are getting something out of this, which I think they are. Um, at least That's the, two the name of, of us the game. Are, yeah. yeah, absolutely, 100%. Any big uh, outstanding things happen this week? No, nope, just chugging along here as the weather's playing games with us here in 716 western new york uh, you, you can never you know you, you clear off the pool area and everything and then it, we, it, it hits us with snow for two days <laughs> so you never know what to expect we we're just hoping that that's the last barrage for us how about you yeah i mean other than we're our school is now finally going back in the elementary to you know full-time access in the classroom so a little bit of a change in the gerstung household two of mm-hmm. two of the four are going back full-time so they're a little little nervous about that this coming week um but no just getting in like you said trying to play the games with the weather you know running the athletic program at akron high school has been a Ooh. little a little complicated yes. but you know all that stress kind of went away this weekend we had our first tournament travel basketball tournament that I coach and my daughters are a part of and play in. So uh, we were able to get out and play some basketball and be compete against some other teams. And so really good, really proud of um, our Buffalo Titans coaching staff for how positive they are with our kids. You know, you win some, you lose some, but these ladies are just competing and getting after it. And I think as I grow more and more with my daughters. I've always been in the the boys realm or the men's realm in terms of basketball, but as more the more I grow with my daughters playing, I'm just really impressed at how hard these young ladies compete and get after it and they're such good kids. Um so just a great weekend in that respect. So we're, you know, recording this on the Sunday night like we normally do, so it's been a full weekend of hoops and this is just a good way to cap it off. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, so because we were at basketball all morning, I definitely didn't get to check in at church. So why don't you hmm. enlighten me with a little little word here? Yeah, what I took away from the word this morning when I was there was just a very simple message of John 3, 1. 
see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. And it's just so reassuring. You know, you, you think back in the, the parable, um, Luke 15, you know, him searching for his lost sheep and he's just he loves us with so much that we you know we don't even deserve at times and he's just relentlessly pursuing us at all moments and it's just so reassuring it's uh funny and interesting all at the same time that you bring up teaching and parables and i i love that one too you know how many times do i feel like a lost sheep and then just you know have to take a second to pause reflect you know, open the Bible up and and take a few minutes to get into that. But just the idea of parables, right? Mm -hmm. I think is where my head went. And in my reading today, we were out and we had some downtime. So I was reading a little bit too. And one of the parables that came across today was just about the the parable of the farmers and the seed, you know, and Mm -hmm. kind of where you lay yourself and just kind of speaking to me as a dad and how to raise my children. And I just find such... Um, immense uh, understanding when I'm reading those parables. There's just so much value in those. And so yes. uh, such a good parable that you bring to us. But just in general, as I'm, as I'm reflecting here today, just an, a great opportunity to um, kind of use some imagery, you know, to connect those main ideas. And sometimes I feel like right. we need to do that as coaches too, you know, and as educators, um, create a different way for these kids to understand maybe some of the larger concepts. So be consistent. Uh, Success is a lot about consistency. Yeah. Yeah. And, and creativity too, just like finding a way to touch, touch the people that you're trying to lead. So speaking of that, what a great segue, I think to our guest tonight, um, we are joined coach by Jamie Beckler. Jamie Beckler is a former coach himself, uh, now he is an author, uh, professional speaker, trainer, all about this idea of leadership. And on this podcast, as you know, you know we've talked to actual coaches, we've talked to athletes, we've talked to authors, and he's just another one of these people that are are so gracious enough, gracious enough to share his time with us. You know, on all of these areas. So I'm super excited to to get in and figure out how. He grew his business, what his journey's been like, and if he's got any insights for us. Commitment, man, every day, every week, every month, every every year. So and I'm sure he's just on his grind all the time. Super excited. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get out. And when we come back, we'll have um, Jamie Beckler with us. Hey, hoop heads, we all hate ankle sprains and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A R. Y-S-E dot com. All right, guys, we are back to with Beyond the Ball. Uh, we are joined tonight, super excited by author, speaker, podcaster, uh, Jamie Beckler. Mr. Beckler, how you doing? 
Hey, I'm doing great tonight, guys. I appreciate you having me on the show. Definitely, definitely do not call me Mr. Beckler. I got you, Jamie. I got mm-hmm. you. I, that's, that's, that high, that's that public education, that high school education. Everybody's Mr., but uh, no, uh, uh, Jamie or, or Coach or um, I won't even tell you the things that my wife calls me. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yeah, Jamie, thank you for coming on Beyond the Ball. It's just a huge honor to have you on here. And um, part of our mission here is to celebrate those that are that are serving others throughout the country, throughout the world. And, uh, you know, your, your book, The Leadership Playbook, Become Your Team's Most Valuable Leader, has been um, a big hit for many of our many of our um, guests here. So let, let, I just want to start the, the pod out asking you, you like, how has the game cultivated you? How has it served you in your journey through life? Oh well, I mean it, it's been it's been amazing. I mean basketball has been a part of my life. Uh, my I mean pretty much my whole life. I, you know I played sports early on. Played a lot of sports. Um, like like a lot of your listeners. Uh, you know I was involved in pretty much everything. You know that's before, kind of before video games and uh, uh, you know almost before Atari and all those kinds of things. So really all we had to do was play sports and and be active. And so I was always doing something. But basketball became my my biggest love, and and that became the sport that I uh, went to college to play and so and then I ended up being a coach in basketball and and so my books are heavily uh, you know focused on they're not focused on basketball but there's there's a huge undertone of basketball and then my uh, my third book that I wrote the bus trip which is my first fiction book that was about a basketball team so yeah everything everything you know has pretty much uh, my life has revolved around basketball so to speak you know my family when I was a coach everything was basketball you know we would go wherever the job was and and our date nights my wife and I our date nights were uh, recruiting you know and and I would treat her I would treat her well I'd let her get you know popcorn and, and a hot dog and and if she was really being good and I was really feeling good maybe she could get a Kit Kat or something you know for dessert that's awesome so coach wouldn't you say you played college basketball and then moved right into coaching what was that we talk to coaches all the time about, you know, when they kind of felt, quote unquote, their calling to get into coaching and when they knew that that was just their their destiny. What was that situation like for you? Where did that, did it come while you were still playing? Was it after the fact? Did you move into like the private sector and then figure it out later? What did that process look like for you? Yeah, good question, Justin. I was in seventh grade and uh, my dreaded English teacher the one good thing uh, about her class was that there was this little library in the corner and we could check out these books and there was a sports book uh, about John Wooden. They called me coach. And I read that book and I would love to say I was this mature seventh grader and I was like, okay, one day I'm going to be a coach like John Wooden. It wasn't quite like that, but what it was, I had this feeling of, hey, I want to have a coach like John Wooden. I want to have a coach that, that loves me and, 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 uh, uh, you know, treats me well, whether my shot's going in or whether I'm turning the ball over, kind of like John Wooden. And so it was that I want to have a coach like that. And then as I got older, as I, I matriculated into high school and, and through the years, I started to be like, you know what, if this pro thing doesn't work out, then you know, coaching would be a great fallback. I could be a history teacher and a coach, just like my basketball coach. And then, um, you know, early on in my high school career, some of my coaches and closest confidants let me know that I was probably going to be a coach. And then I went to college 
still figuring that, hey, I'm going to be this high school teacher or, you know, this history teacher type um, uh, basketball coach. And and uh, and then one of the guys from our basketball team went on to be a grad assistant at Kent State University and kind of uh, came back told me, worked with me, was kind of my mentor to a degree, even though he's a couple of years older. And he was kind of the first person to kind of let me know that, hey, I could I could actually be a college coach. And that really appealed to me. And so, uh, you know, I, I then followed his lead and went to Kent State to be a graduate assistant on the men's side. And, and then from there on out, I was a, a college coach the rest of my career. Now, um, that mentorship, that had to have been such a great experience when you were making that jump in there, was it a lot of uh, belief in yourself? Like, were, were you like, uh, I don't know if I can handle this? Or did you did you think that the transition was going to be easier or, or harder than you expected? Well, you know, I had a belief in myself as a coach. What I What I was a little concerned about was that I wasn't a very good player. Obviously, in high school, I was I – was, uh, a pretty good player at times, but in college, my best friend was the water cooler and my second best friend was the athletic trainer. Uh, I tended to, to sit at the end of the bench. And so, you know, I was like, you know what? I wasn't a very good player. I don't have much of a resume. I'm not sure how good of a college coach I will be or even if I will, if I'll be able to be a college coach eventually because I don't have this resume. I'm not a great player. But I found out uh, that's that's not the case at all. I mean, really, it, it comes down to can you take people from where they are to where they need to be and it and it didn't matter you know how old i was it didn't matter if i was coaching men or women and it didn't matter what my resume was uh people want a coach that can help them be better and help the team be better give them a good experience that kind of stuff and so it 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 doesn't matter certainly being a great player you know gives you a head start but then at at that point you know we've all seen we've all seen big time players fail as a coach because they, they don't know how to coach, you know, they know how to play, they know how to win. They just don't know how to coach. And so uh, I had confidence, but I just needed to, to have confidence. I had confidence and abilities. I just had to have confidence from a networking standpoint, from a, you know what, you can really uh, progress quite a ways in this coaching business by knowing, um, the game, but then the relationships that you make along the way. So let's say I go into this college game not having a lot of uh, network, uh, a huge network, a huge Rolodex, you know, to date myself way back in the day. Um, you know, if you don't have a ton of business cards, that's okay at the time. You're just going to have to, you know, uh, the proverbial grind, you know, hustle. You're going you're gonna to have to just, uh, you know, uh, knock it out of the ballpark and, and really work harder than somebody else that maybe has a head start on you. But, um, and, and that's what I did. I mean, I worked as many camps as I could. I got to know as many people as I could. I started a, a coaching club. And, and this is back, I mean, when I graduated college, I had six email addresses. I don't mean like Jamie Beckler at Yahoo, Jamie Beckler at AOL. I mean, there were six people I knew that had email addresses. Um, you know, this is back before the internet, pretty much. Um, and so I started this coaching club and we had about 20 coaches and many of them are, are division one coaches nowadays, now, including Chris Holtman at Ohio State. And what we would do is we would just exchange plays. We would we would send, you know, we would we would put in this manila envelope plays or or quotes or whatever we wanted to send if it was our week, and we would send it to the twenty other coaches in this coaching club. So I did things like that. You know, we we shared a lot of rides together. We did a lot of things. Um, 
uh, with with guys that you're coming up with, but then then you get to know these these veteran coaches and and you pick their brains. And so, you know, while you're picking their brains, you also network and you also get to know them, and they and they trust you. And and um, you know, so so I was able to within a couple years to to be able to kind of put those fears at ease. That hey, I wasn't a very good player. Maybe I won't be a great college coach or, or a good college coach because I was able to uh, eventually network. Hey, Jamie, uh, what a tremendous answer. And I just want to piggyback off of what you said is sticking in my mind is the uh, they just don't know how to coach. Um, so let me ask you, what are what are some very important things that you would describe in that answer of like they just don't know how to coach? What are the separators from those that really know how to coach and or those that are just out there coaching? Well, one of the very first things and, and related to the really good players that struggle to coach is that they don't understand what it's like to be at the end of the bench. They don't understand what it's like to not be playing right now. They don't understand what it's like if it doesn't come natural. Uh, they don't understand sometimes failure, how you bounce back from adversity. And, and so those are some things that people like me who have not always had, you know, rainbows and butterflies with your sports career where you've had ups and you've had downs, you know, someone like me or and I mean, there's thousands of other coaches. I know you guys are you guys are up in New York. And, and I know, Justin, you've talked about John Beeline before. You know, one of the things that's made John Beeline such a great coach is he wasn't born on third base. You know, he didn't start off as this highly touted, amazing Division One can't miss coach. You know, he worked his way up pretty much every level. Um, he was a grinder. He he you know he just did things. He he saw things from different from different perspectives. You know, I mean the the rumor has it that you know he still cuts his own grass or or he was still doing that even when he was going to Final Fours. You know, cutting his own grass. Those are the kinds of characteristics. And it doesn't mean that a star athlete can't have those characteristics, but sometimes we lose touch. We lose sight of everybody else that's on a team as opposed to just those those two or three stars. And, and so I do think in coaching, you have to understand and, and see perspectives that are more than just yours. You have to see the whole forest and not just your tree. And so the best coaches are able to understand not only do these players, not only do these players have a different perspective and see the world differently than I do because I'm a 45-year-old coach and they're a 16-year-old athlete. We see things differently. Not only that, but me, way back in the day as a 16-year-old, sees things differently than today's 16-year-olds. It doesn't mean that one's better than the other. It just means that things are different. And, and we, the best coaches, are able to kind of take all these perspectives and all these different points of view and bring them together to to understand that they may have to coach certain people a little bit differently. They may have to coach different teams or, or certain teams differently. And and so, you know, specifically to the star players, they don't always have that understanding of every player on the team and things are going to be different each year and you have to adjust and adapt each year. Uh, but just in general, coaches have to adjust, have to adapt. And, and we constantly see this with, with some of the best coaches um, you know, they're able to take, you know, whether it's in college with the one and done rule or, or now it's going to be the uh, name, image and likeness rule, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, you've been a motion guy your whole life and that's not the way the game is going or, you know, you were whatever, you know, fill in the blank. 
the best coaches are able to adapt. You know, the same things that are that were maybe you were using 20 years ago may not be able to be used today as successfully. What you did last year with your team may not be what you can do this year. And and I mean, I've had I've had before and and this stands out. It's a, it's a bad example probably, but I I've had this situation where I did a motivational strategy with one team and it worked amazing. I actually left that school and went to another school the next year. Almost the same exact situation. I was like, you know what? I'm going to pull this. I'm going to pull this out of my my sleeve. You know, I got this ace up the sleeve. I'm going to do this motivational strategy, and it actually failed miserably. Hashtag epic fail. I mean, it was terrible. So sometimes the same situation can present itself, but you have different people, and so coaches, the best coaches. They, they kind of analyze all that kind of stuff. They use their gut, but they also analyze and they're like, all right, this situation might appear to be the same, but these dynamics aren't the same. And so this might not work with this group. Uh, so you always have to adapt. You have to adjust and you have to have a, a perspective to see things that's not just your own tree, but the whole forest. Uh, Jamie, such a quality answer. There's so many places I want to take my next question, but I think I'll start with this. We are entering into the off season, right? And so based on what you're saying about being adaptable and making sure you can connect with all those athletes, where would you say the percentage is of being, you know, that go-to coach or that quality coach, you know, is being an X and O guy versus relationship versus like player development. I know they all blend together, but you know, all these online clinics are starting up that we had a, a plethora of during, you know, COVID that breakout last year. A lot of coaches are diving into the X and O's again. You know, from my perspective, it sounds to me from what you're saying and some other guests that some of these coaches, some of us, me included, should maybe look a little into the more relationship building side than maybe X's and O's. Would you say there's a percentage there? Or how do you see like the balancing of all those different aspects playing out? <laughs> Great question. I a hundred percent, you asked for a percentage. I a hundred percent believe that if your primary focus is not on the people, the relationships, the connectivity, um, the intangibles, the so-called, you know, quote unquote soft skills, I think you're missing out as a coach. Most of the time we bang our heads against the wall, not because the play didn't work or, or, or I should say not because our plays are bad. If the play didn't work, we typically try to then double down and do some X's and O's solution to that as opposed to maybe this play didn't work because Jalen and Jawan don't get along. Maybe Jalen and Jawan get along, but they have different agendas. Um, maybe they're both trying to be all conference. Maybe they're both trying to get that shot, and they're not, they're not very happy that, that Coach Beckler just called this play for Jawan because Jalen wanted it. Maybe Jalen and Jawan get along well, but they don't trust their, their teammates. Maybe they don't trust the coaches. There's all these kinds of things that really are the reason that most of our plays don't work. Um, Either that or, you know, the, the X's and O's part of that is, is typically we don't do a good job of teaching. We're not clear in our teaching. We're not prepared in our teaching. And, and so we assume that just because Jalen and Jawan understand us, you know, Chris, Ray and Jimmy, they, they don't understand. We, under, we assume that they understand us as well. 
not all 15 of your players are going to understand you every time you talk. And so sometimes we our plays don't work as well because we aren't clear and we don't communicate and, and think about how some of the other players are, are viewing things or we don't put people in the best positions. But to answer your question specifically, I think the offseason is an amazing time to build relationships, to build bridges. Uh, to to maybe melt the ice a little bit if if a player and you don't get along or if you and parents don't get along. This is a great opportunity because you're not dealing with playing time right now. You're not yelling at them because they're not touching the line. Uh, and if you're and if you're listening to this and you're fortunate enough to have spring sports or some of your kids are in spring sports right now, you should be attending as many of these events as possible. And and you don't have to buddy up to a parent and be best friends with them. But you should be talking to them for one to two minutes, just something kind, just something you, you, you saw from the game. It doesn't even have to be, like if you go to a baseball game, it doesn't have to be that, wow, that was great, little Johnny played well. It could just be, I loved how, how Johnny ran out that, that ground ball to shortstop. Even though it, it was pretty obvious it was going to be an out, he still ran it out. That is awesome. And you just start to melt the ice a little bit if that relationship is not great. And what you're doing is you're, you're depositing. You're doing some emotional deposits because you're going to have to withdraw during the season. You know, you're going to have some tough, difficult conversations at some point during the season with most of your players. And some of our problems are we want to have this tough love. We, we have these tough conversations. We have these challenging conversations sometimes, except we don't have a strong bond. And if you're going to have a tough conversation, you better have a strong bond. And that's some of the stuff, you know, we we look at like a Greg Popovich dog cussing Tim Duncan out or dog cussing Tony Parker out. Yeah, well, they had a strong bond together. They knew that Coach Pop had had their best interest. Coach Pop is is known for not being all about X's and O's away from the court. Uh, even in practice, not being all about X's and O's. He builds strong relationships. And there's a lot of coaches out there who will dog cuss out or, or have tough conversations or say something tough to their star players and their star players or even their reserves for that matter, they kind of withdraw. They they it goes in one ear out the other or, or all that kind of stuff. So if you want to withdraw something out of that emotional bank account during the season, then you should be you should be depositing now. And I think the off season is a perfect opportunity to do that. It's a perfect opportunity. Uh, we we do a um, the leadershipplaybook.com. We do a online on demand program for sports teams across the country, college and and high school, all different kinds of teams. And there's a lot of teams right now that are using that. They're, they're doing these two-minute video lessons and then having a five- to ten-minute discussion. They're doing it daily or they're doing it just a couple times a week. But what they're doing is they're trying to build leaders now. They're trying to get in their minds how to be better teammates now when, it's, when there's not that pressure, when you're not getting an elbow in the face, you know, when you're not getting a coach yelling at you, you're starting to build up that stuff now and build those habits and talk about these kind of things so that when you do get into the season, you've already talked about certain situations. You've talked about things five, six, ten times uh, prior to that. And and I think coaches, sometimes we wait for something to happen, then we knee-jerk react or we cross our fingers and say, man, I hope, I hope Jimmy doesn't you know, blow up at the refs, or I hope I hope Jawan and, and Jalen get along instead of nipping it in the bud and working with that ahead of time so that you can minimize some of those issues and drama that's going to come up during the season. I think the off season is a great time to do that. 
Coach, that's such a powerful answer, and it kind of goes in hand in hand. So I love developing those relationships with your players in the offseason. Just to quickly piggyback and go back to one of the previous comments that you made about, you know, being able to see it from the kid's perspective that's on the end of the bench or, you know, the way you see the game or a 16-year-old might see the game now is not the way that we saw it as 16-year-olds ourselves. What about leading, and I'm going to change it, and I know we're just not a lot of show prep, and this is casual conversation, so I apologize for throwing this at you, you know, maybe unprepared, but when leading a staff, Eric and I are both, you know, varsity coaches with JV modified staffs, and we we do our best to do those things. I'm not saying we're 100% perfect all the time, but what about leading your other staff members in that conversation as well because at different levels you have different levels of coaches with different varying degrees of experience and I feel like I'm not always doing a great job leading my assistant coaches to see and say and coach up athletes that you know in the in the scenario that we just explained I don't know if I'm being very clear with what I want from you but maybe just some ways to coach up your coaches to see it from the athlete's perspective. Is there anything you think we can do to help? Yeah, a great question. And first of all, you've got to be doing it. First of all, that's got to be important to you. It, it can't just be, all right, I'm, I want you guys to do this, this, and this, but you're not right. doing it yourself. So that's kind of the starting point. And that sounds obvious, but oftentimes we don't do that. Um, you know, but that's a starting point. Secondly, you know, what I would say, and this sounds so bad as a former coach, it sounds so bad because I know you have a lot of coaches listening, the X's and O's, guys, that that's the easy part of coaching. You can... The reality is almost any zone offense is going to work. You know, if, if you're going against a 2-3 zone, an offense against a 2-3 zone, almost all of them are going to work. There's a lot out there. It's just which one you like better, which one works to your per- personnel. Most of them are going to work on paper. The X's and O's part is the easy part. The leadership part is the hard part. It's it's getting them inspired. It's getting your team to be good teammates. Great teams have great teammates, and you don't have great teammates um, just automatically. You know, even our good so-called at high school, our good leaders, oftentimes are the kids that you know they go to class all right and they 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 say maybe yes sir no sir and they don't get arrested for shoplifting or things like that i mean I, i'm being extreme but oftentimes our good leaders are just the kids that don't get in trouble well yeah they may be this quote-unquote good leaders but they need training they need developing they need to understand what it means to be a good leader a positive leader how to bring people with them but also how to be good teammates what it means to be to to help others be the best that they can be not just oh i worked hard this summer so i'm a good athlete now and so to do that you need help as a head coach and that comes back to the question you asked how can you do that you have to have your staff helping you and they have to be on the same page as you or at least in the same book for pete's sakes you know maybe they're not on the same exact page but they've got to be in the same book where where you can at least get to that uh closely but so you're going to need to talk to them. Oftentimes when we do have, we have limited time with our staff. And so what we tend to do is, is one of two things. We tend to, uh, we tend to talk about X's and O's or we tend to just complain. 
You know, we, we complain about, you know, so-and-so is doing this or so-and-so is soft, so-and-so is an idiot, so-and-so is not committed, you know, fill in the blank. We complain with no real solutions or we talk about X's and O's. I would say take that time to make sure that our staff understands where we're at, what, what we're thinking about and how we can go about how I need their help. And so empower your staff. So first of all, equip them, let them know, hey, I want you... You can be doing this, you can be doing this, you can be doing this, but then empower them to go out there. Let them know that, you know what, I want you to go out there and be an extension of me. I want, when we're scrimmaging or in this drill, provided I'm not saying stuff for the whole team to hear, I want you to be talking to a player. I want you to be helping them. Coach them up on the sidelines. So many coach assistants that I've talked to, whether the head coach has said this or not, the assistant coach will tell me, I don't feel like I can say something to the player because the head coach kind of dominates the practice. And whether that's that's true or not, that's the way the assistant coach feels. So empower them, equip them, uh, give them some ideas of, hey, when we're doing this drill or when we're scrimmaging here in this 20-minute segment, feel free to go over talking points, feel free to talk to, you know, Justin, talk to Eric, you know, talk to Jawan and, and, and reinforce some of the things that we're doing out there on the court and what they can do, or, or this is a great chance to encourage them. So utilize all that downtime. Um, your practices should be very well prepared. Uh, John Wooden used to say that he would spend more time preparing practice than the actual practice itself. Oftentimes, even as at the college level, Certainly at the high school level, we don't do that. You know, we don't spend as much time preparing for practice as maybe we should. Maybe we'll have a, a bulk of time. All right, we're going to do this for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, but we really don't have a point to it. Or we don't even know like exactly how we're going to rotate in this drill. What we end up doing, by and large, is we have bored players. We have disengaged players. We have 16-year-olds who have like seven-second attention spans, and we're planning a boring practice for them. We're doing the same thing over and over again with no point, or it's just this big lump you know, time frame or whatever. We're, we're just not setting them up for success, and we can use our assistant coaches in that. Uh, get their ideas. Ask them. Ask them what they think. Almost all assistant coaches have opinions. Uh, they'll share it amongst themselves. Get get that out of them. Help them uh, to to see, you know, help them by asking them, hey, what do you think we could do in this drill to make it better? What do you think we could do to get Eric to pay attention more or to get these five guys who aren't playing as much to pay attention more? Or how do we do this, this, or this? Ask them maybe some specific questions, but get them as involved as possible and, uh, if you got some assistants that you don't like or that you don't think that they're uh, th- they're capable of this, then one, they shouldn't be around you. Uh, they shouldn't be in your program. Or if you want them around, you just don't think they're capable of yet, then find things that they can do. It's it's like the player at the end of your bench that maybe can't do certain things. You know, Maybe they can't shoot a three-pointer or dribble with their left hand. We'll find ways for them to be valuable still. Maybe they can be a screener. Maybe they can be a rebounder. So the same thing with your assistant. So be very purposeful and intentional, but it all comes back to, I'll, I'll five, tie this up, it all comes back to You've got to find ways to engage your players and to inspire your players in practice, and you're not going to be able to do it on your own. You need your assistance to help you with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jamie, um, you know, some, many times you hear like a lot of coach talk on the sidelines like, hey, 
you ladies need to step it up. We need to communicate more or you, you guys need, we need to lead her out here on the court, but they really just don't know what you're talking about. So like when you have like a 13 year old, 14 year old team, JV modified wise, where are some, where can we just start? Where can we start laying bricks and how can we as coaches develop and, and translate leadership skills to these younger athletes? Yeah, I would go back to don't treat your practice time like it's this precious, like reverent church service where you have to have two hours or you have, you know, oh, my precious practice time. Cut out 10 minutes, cut, cut your practice by 10 or 15 minutes and have a, a, a little chalk talk before you go out there once in a while. Teach them stuff. Uh, teach them what this looks like when I say this stuff or this is what we're looking for, as opposed to just assuming that they'll do that. Uh, use that time. You know, unless your practices are absolutely planned to perfection, most of us waste quite a bit of time. We, we waste 10 to 15 to 20 minutes every practice. Uh, use that time. Say, say, all right, I, you know what? We're, we're going to teach them some stuff two to three times a week. Uh, we're we're going to teach them what it looks like to be a verbal leader. Exactly. We're going to teach them how they can be encouraging one another. Uh, we're going to teach them X, Y, and Z. We're going to teach them this stuff so that when they go out there and they hear us say that, they're a little bit more understanding of that. And so I don't just throw it on them when they're really tired, because oftentimes we, we will, we will tell our athletes stuff when they're tired, when they're, when they're under adversity, when they're, they're challenged, when, when their, their head is, is not right. Um, you know, and, and that could even go to announcements at the end, you know, Hey, huddle up, let's, let's, let's huddle up. And then you tell them five different things that they got to remember. And it's like, they just got done running five, you know, wind sprints. They're not going to remember that stuff, you know? So we have, that goes to understanding and we've got to put ourselves in their position and, and try to help them out as much as possible. Too many coaches. And I was like this, uh, certainly at the start of my career, I would say, well, they should, you know, whatever, or, you know, Hey, they, they, they should want to do this or they should be listening or they should be tougher or they should be, you know, they're going to have to listen when, when things are tough. Yeah, but you got to practice that. You got to work with them on that. And, and don't be an I got you coach. Be a coach that helps them. Be a coach that, that puts them in positions to win. So, you know, you're talking about a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old where, you know, you're saying, hey, do, the, you know, you know, spur on your teammates or encourage each other or, hey, do this or do that. You've got to kind of teach them how to do that. And don't, don't expect them to know it. And, and don't just rely on doing it on, on the seat of your pants, you know, on the fly, you know, when they're tired or, or when, you know, maybe uh, they've just gotten yelled at or maybe you just called a play for their buddy and they're upset because they didn't, they didn't get the play. Coach, such great stuff. You mentioned in reference John Wooden a couple of times, maybe even down to, you know, how they tie their shoes, right, and how they lace up their shoes. The guy yeah. teach him all those basic little things, right? John Wynn's famous for uh, for doing that. Um, I'm going to shift gears, if you don't mind, just a little bit, because we are beyond the ball, and we like to talk about stuff away from the court a little bit. And all of this stuff is phenomenal stuff. It's obviously not X's and O's. We're not talking zone defense or man offense. But going back to your coaching days, and you referenced earlier in the – in our interview that just the idea of you were would move around from job to job eric and i you know also having families of our own being educators actually a social studies teacher myself coaching high school hoops that's how i stayed in the game but 
How did that work? What was that dynamic like for some of our coach listeners that maybe are looking to move on to the next level and are trying to, you know, find a rhythm with their personal life and their family life? What were some of those struggles that, you know, you went through with your family making those moves or were you single? Like, what did that look like for you during your time as a coach? No, I was married when I was making those moves. And, and to any coach in this profession, if you want to stay married, then you better have a good relationship in, in terms of uh, communication. You better have a good communication relationship with your wife and you need to or, or your or your husband, you know, your spouse. You, you better be uh, understanding that they they don't want to just uproot sometimes. Now they might, now my wife was amazing. She, she would follow me anywhere while we were coaching, but we always talked our moves out. We, I always wanted to make sure, yes, this was a better professional move for me, but I want to make sure that she's okay with it. And, and as long as we were, when we were just married or when we didn't have kids, it was, it was an easier or a quicker conversation. Most of the time, once we had our son, uh, it, it became much more serious and it wasn't something where automatically just because a move was a, a better professional move that we were going to make it. Uh, there, there's now more people involved. There's now more uh, dynamics in play than just, you know, two lovebirds, you know, being like, oh, that's just, this is fun. This is a vacation. We'll go to a new town or a new place, you know. So, but if if you're not married and and you're dating or you figure you are going to be married someday, you know, that's something you're going to want to have a conversation with your spouse about early on because they and, and you want to paint probably the ugliest picture you can about being what a coach's spouse is going to look like because because almost everyone that you date is going to be like, oh, I can handle it. I love you. You know, I love right. you so much. I can handle that. And it's like you have no idea. I mean, you're going to be a basketball widow and basketball is one of the worst sports probably out there because it, it goes into two different, you know, if you're on semesters, it goes into two semesters, you know, it, it goes in kind of the fall and the spring. Um, and then you have summer is, is huge no matter what level you're at. So basketball might be one of the worst to be a spouse. Um, so you're definitely going to want to paint an ugly picture and have her her or him, your, your future spouse, maybe talk to some spouses that you know uh, that that are in this this profession, and then uh, and then the 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 last thing is uh, is, is with that um, you uh, I lost my train of thought. There was a last thing, but it probably wasn't the best thing since I forgot it. No, that's fine. I mean, we just we Eric and I talk, have this conversation all the time about you know, trying to manage it. We're, we're in a couple different positions. You know, he's getting married coming up here in a couple months and I'm married for a couple years now and have a couple kids. So we just always have this conversation about, you know, trying to find that rhythm and trying to get everything out of the coaching aspect, but also making sure that, you know, everybody at home is in a good place as well. So, yeah. And one of the things, one of the things you have to, you know, don't, like as a basketball coach, we tend to everything is an important deal. Like everything is urgent. Everything's this the biggest deal. Hey, I've got this camp we got to go to, or I've got this I've got this meeting I've got to go to, or I've got you know this practice or whatever it is. Everything's always the biggest deal to us because that's kind of our life. That we we everything revolves around basketball, so to so to speak. But we've got to be sensitive to the fact that our spouse doesn't want to be a widow 
a basketball widow, uh, you know, for 12 months. So when you're not, when you're not, you've, you've got to be able to prioritize your basketball stuff. Not everything is created equal and you've got to be sensitive to her. And, you know, you might have to take a month off or you might have to skip something or, or not plan something in a certain week to appease her, or you might have to have your assistant coach do something instead of you. And, and I'm not being specific about any of that because it's going to, it's going to look different for every coach, but uh, it might be that you have to take her on a cruise or you have to, you have to do some amazing vacation for a couple weeks because that'll make up for six months where you haven't been around. Um, but you know, like for me as a coach and, and I was at the college level, you know, I pretty much saw my son about maybe one hour a day. And I know that sounds bad. Unless she brought him to practice, I was I was only seeing him about one hour a day. I would get up before any of them were up and I would come back, you know, for workouts. And then we'd have practice till late at night. Um, so I was, you know, you have to have a very uh, loving spouse. Uh, you have to understand that your spouse is going to be doing a lot of junk that they probably shouldn't have to do. Um, but you need to talk that out and, and you need to find ways. All right. I have this one hour break. I have this two hour break or I have three one hour breaks during the day. You know what? I'm going to shoot on home and I'm going to see my wife or I'm going to see my son or I'm going to do this or that. Um, you got to be really intentional or else before you know it, five years have gone by you know, or, or something like that, or, or she's asking for divorce or your kid's grown up and, and you don't even recognize your kid anymore um, because you weren't intentional. And, and I know that sounds tough sometimes because everything is important for us as a coach, but we have got to make sure that the home life is good. And we're not going to do that just on accident. Like as a basketball coach, it's got to be intentional. And did you feel that um, your, your transition from the sidelines to being an author and a speaker well, what was that transition like speaking of like all the rhythm and finding rhythm and finding time to be with a family? Yeah. I, uh, I left coaching to be a high school athletic director. Um, I had a great opportunity to go to Indiana to be a, an athletic director at a school with the fifth largest gymnasium in the country, uh, seats over 7,000. Nobody had won more boys basketball titles than this school had in Indiana. So it was a pretty big deal from a basketball standpoint, 20, 22 varsity sports, um, so it was a pretty good opportunity to, from an administrative standpoint. And so there was, it was quite an adjustment to be honest, um, because it wasn't like I didn't work hard or didn't spend a lot of hours as a college coach, but as a college coach, I had freedom of when I, when I spent time in those hours, when I got to schedule practice, uh, as a high school athletic director, I really didn't have much of a say in, in any of that. And so, um, I, I really didn't have much of a say in that. So, so pretty much if I wanted to do anything extra, I was coming in way before school started, but then all your sports are going to be after school going till late at night. And so our, uh, I was able to see my son quite a bit, but, uh, I was, I was, I was pretty, uh, uh, handcuffed to the hours. I didn't have as much freedom and flexibility as I did as a college coach. So, so I was only in that position for two years and, uh, we, we adjusted, we, we found ways, but, uh, at the end of that two years, we decided to, uh, jump feet first into the leadership game. Uh, I'd always been a, uh, always had a passion for leadership. I had always, uh, wanted to all my teams to be strong leaders, uh, have a, have a strong culture. 
And uh, I went and got trained by John Maxwell and his teaching staff in 2016, my second year of being an AD. And I really just did that to, to become a better AD, to become better in what I was doing. And it was really at that time that I realized, you know what, you can actually make a living at this. You can, there, there's people out there that, that are professional speakers or, or leadership coaches, leadership trainers that are making money at this. And so that was kind of the first time I realized that because before that, I kind of thought it was just really like Tony Robbins type you know, you're either the big time, big time motivational speaker or, or, or you're like Dean Smith or a coach K or, you know, you're a retired coach or a former coach or a coach, Bobby Bowden, those kind of people who, who are making a lot of money speaking, you know, because they were big time coaches. So I, I'd never really kind of thought that there's this in between. And so, um, we, uh, we ended up jumping both feet into it and, uh, quit organized athletics. Uh, I didn't, uh, uh, when my contract was up, I didn't, we didn't, uh, we didn't keep going with it. And uh, we went into full time where I'm into business for myself. So we've been doing this uh, nearly five years now. And that was that, do you feel that like God was moving you into that situation? Like he was pushing you down that path when you went to, to with the clinic with Maxwell, you're like, ah, this is, this is it. This is what I should be doing. Well, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm not sure I'm being pushed in any direction. But I do see that there's opportunity and I'm going to take this opportunity. I, I feel like this door has opened. I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity, much like when I wasn't ready to leave coaching. I had a great team coming back. We, we had set all kinds of records as being the best team in school history. Everybody was coming back. And yet this athletic director thing just kind of came at me and the opportunity was amazing in so many different ways. And it was almost a no brainer. And so uh, we, we, we jumped at that opportunity. And then two years later, we had a similar situation where, uh, you know, it looked like I was going to have a, a, a situation where, where I had some contacts, I had some, uh, an opportunity to go into this uh, entrepreneurial space to go into the leadership game and to get some mentorship to get some help along the way as I started. And so uh, we, we went ahead and, and jumped at that opportunity as well, because, I, you know, I don't I, I'm not sure I'm not sure that it's always the right decision. I, I can't say that across the board, but I do know that I want to make sure that I'm taking advantage of an opportunity when it comes my way. And it's something that I that that fits into or aligns with kind of my, my purpose or aligns with what's important to me. So, you know, let's say, let's say I had an opportunity to go work, uh, terrible now, go work at the Pentagon or I don't know, go work, go work at Google. Um, you know, even for a lot of money, you know, that wouldn't necessarily align with what's important to me. It doesn't mean I wouldn't take that job, but it wouldn't be something that I would necessarily, you know, run at or be like, Hey, I've got to, I've got to take this opportunity. You know, job, job offers come our way a lot of times. Um, and, and some seem like they're a fit and some don't seem like a fit. And, and the, the opportunity to, to kind of go into this leadership space, be a speaker, eventually write, to be a podcast host, to work with sports teams across the country. It just seemed like a no brainer. It seemed like something that, that definitely aligned and fit with what I wanted to do. So coach, just to, and we're running up on our time. We appreciate all the time you've been able to, to give us one of the things that, is that Eric and I frequently talk about is when those opportunities arise, um, different people handle those decisions different ways. Did you ever feel 
like super anxious and stressed out about them? Or was it just like super confident? Like we're just, here it is. We're going to attack it. You know, no fear, just kind of get after it. Like what was your process that, you know, you and your wife went through when, when those situations came up? Cause we've been faced with those situations and have talked like not on the podcast, but off air, like how, how do you approach those so that you know and feel confident that you're doing the right thing. Well, if you're leaving a good situation, like when I left coaching to go into being an athletic director, I had a little more apprehension because I had a great situation still. Like I liked my situation. I loved my players. I had, I had a good situation. And so it was one of those where, oh man, if I'm, if I make the wrong decision, you know, here I, you know, you're just always a little bit scared a little bit apprehensive about that. But by and large, the, the the overall answer to that question is, I've always kind of known to a degree what I want, but I've more importantly, I've always tried to prepare to be the best leader that I can be and to be the best, um, uh, to have the most wisdom. Now, now, I'm far from being wise, but I try to have the most wisdom I can and see things from many different perspectives, many different angles and, and pros and cons being self-aware, knowing my strengths and weaknesses. Uh, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that I always do it right. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm prepared. I was prepared to be an AD. Uh, maybe I wasn't ready. I don't think you're ever ready to be a first time AD. I don't think you're ready to be a first time head coach and I don't think you're ready to be married. I just think you can be more prepared than other people. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, and then and then going into the leadership space full time. I mean, I look at it as I had 20, 30 years of preparation, of experience, of doing things to go into this. Now, I needed to learn the business side of being an entrepreneur, the business side of, you know, getting up on stage is easy compared to the business part of it. How do I support my family? How do I how do I, uh, you know, make up the money that I'm leaving as an athletic director or as a coach? You know, the business side of it's tough. But, you know, I just try to prepare. And then when those opportunities present itself, man, ro- get into that Rolodex, go into those contacts and see who do I know that could help me? Who do I know that could help me uh, uh, ask me some questions, present maybe a different side of things to to just challenge me or to help me be prepared, whether it's for the interview or getting into the job itself? Awesome stuff. Jamie, my last question for you is, you know, what are you looking forward to as as we head into the summer of 2021 and into the future? Yeah, I appreciate that that question. We we have uh, our fourth book is scheduled to come out at uh, Thanksgiving of 2021 called The Captain about a, a former star quarterback turned hotshot fighter pilot. So we're excited about that. It'll be another fiction book. And um, and we just launched uh, at the start of 2021, we launched the leadershipplaybook.com, uh, which is our on-demand program we're hugely excited about. And we're going to be dropping more content. We're going to, uh, uh, we have a bunch of, a bunch more uh, uh, members that will be joining uh, schools and, and teams that, uh, you know, have said, hey, we can't do it in 20, you know, we can't do it now, but when July 1 comes around, we're on board. And so we, we have a lot of people even on board right now um, that are going to be full members come July 1. So we're really excited about that program and, and how that's helping teams out right now. So those are the two main projects we have going on. And and, and then you combine that with, uh, you know, most places restrictions for COVID are being lifted, or at least um, 
you know, uh, softened a little bit. And so, uh, you know, even next week, I, I'm going to be on stage for the first time since uh, COVID hit. Uh, I, I was I spoke at a clinic. I spoke at a clinic the weekend before lockdowns. And so uh, I haven't been up on a, a stage since then. So I'm going to be at the Florida High School Athletic Directors Conference next week. And uh, so that'll be exciting. Anxious to get back in front of a crowd. Yes, yes. Good luck. Yeah, good luck, Coach. We're super excited. Hey, listen, our time is up, but our whole mission here at Beyond the Ball is just to celebrate people that are using the game to serve, and I don't know if we could have a more specific guest in mind uh, for that mission than you. So we really appreciate the time, man. Appreciate it so much. Hey, guys, I appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Uh, great great stuff going on. You've had a, a lot of great uh, great podcast guests, uh, all, all different angles from players to, to experts in different things to coaches. So uh, awesome, awesome work, guys. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Coach. We appreciate it. If you need anything moving forward, don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. 